For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler, here to recap Game 2 of the ALDS between the Baltimore Orioles and the Texas Rangers. Unfortunately, our O's are now down 2-0 in the series after losing 11-8 on Sunday afternoon slash early evening. The game took forever because the Orioles walked a million guys through half balls. It was just an ugly performance from the Orioles pitching staff. So we'll get into it. Again, just like yesterday's episode, we're not going to get too specific. We assume if you're listening to this show, you probably watched most of, if not all, of the game. But definitely want to hit on some of the key points here. So we got to start with Grayson Rodriguez. I think that's the number one number one top-line story is that Grayson Rodriguez had a bad day at the, at the stadium today. Uh, after Kyle Bradish went four and two-thirds, a pretty good, had good stuff in game one, but uh, the box score doesn't look totally great. Rodriguez, there's no sugarcoating it. Rodriguez had a bad day. He ended up going just one and two-thirds innings, allowed five runs on six hits, four walks. Walks were a theme of this game, and two strikeouts. Uh, In the first inning, you know, this is where it was positive, was the first inning for Rodriguez, in a way, and then the Orioles' offense. So let's talk about the first inning, because that's where it actually felt like the Orioles could have won this game. Rodriguez ended up facing... Uh, six batters in the first inning and ended up loading the bases but getting out of it uh, without allowing a run, which was huge. I mean, that felt like a a rookie making his postseason debut. He was juiced up. He was throwing 100 miles an hour in that first inning. In that way, looked pretty good. Struggling to find the strike zone. Had one uh, bad call from the umpire. I think it was against Evan Carter, a pitch that definitely caught the strike zone, was called ball four. To, to load the bases up. You know, that happened. He had the amped up stuff. You worry, okay, this could get ugly. You know, a, a flare into the outfield scores two. Now the Orioles are down 2-0 in the game, potentially going to be down 2-0 in the series. Disaster incoming. They end up getting out of it uh, with no runs allowed. Felt huge. Now, now you, th- you say to yourself, he can move on from here, ease into the game, uh, find his way, get through the get through the order twice. You don't got to go seven innings, shut out, Grayson. Get through the order twice, hand it over to the middle of the bullpen, which, fingers crossed, that works out, um, and just, just hopefully the Orioles can take advantage. Bottom of the inning, the Orioles, I believe, load the bases themselves, come out of it with two runs scored off of an Aaron Hicks single into uh, right field. The Orioles go up 2-0. Felt like they could have gotten a little more, uh, they didn't. They ended up with just the two runs, which, you know, you, you say to yourself in the moment, that could come back to bite us. But bottom line, got the lead after a tumultuous top of the half, top half of the inning. We got our flamethrower on the mound. We're feeling pretty good. Into the top of the second. And this is where things sort of fell apart for Rodriguez. He walks Nathan Lowe on, I think, six pitches. Six pitches. Trying, trying to pepper the top of the zone, misses, didn't quite have command of the fastball the way he would like. And to Lowe's credit, he's not really chasing either. He's, he's, he swung at one pitch out of the zone, but it was borderline. 
but in general, he made Rodriguez earn it, and he couldn't do it. Low walks. Josh Young comes up after. He gets he goes up 2-0 in the count. Rodriguez knows he's got to throw a strike. Throws a fastball pretty much in the middle of the zone, a little bit on the outer half. And Young smacks it right up the middle. And Lowe is able to go from first to third on it. Now we got first and third, no outs. I think at this point, uh, John Smoltz on the broadcast is basically saying, like, this is where we need to be careful. The Orioles need to be careful. Because you let in one or two runs this inning, that's not the worst outcome. It's when you start giving up the three, the four, the five runs. That's when trouble starts. You know, don't try to get out of the inning with no runs. Just try to get out of it with contained damage. And it's, you know, good advice. Smoltz, you can say what you want about him as a broadcaster. It's not always the most enjoyable listen, but, you know, he's a a Hall of Fame pitcher, and he knows what he's talking about. So then Leody Tavares comes up to the plate, and Rodriguez again goes down 1-0 to him. All three hitters so far, he goes gets behind in the count. Then does come back with two strikes against Tavares. Uh, on that fourth pitch of the uh, of the at-bat, 1-2 count, he throws a fastball at the bottom of the zone. Not exactly in the same location as the previous pitch, but close. Tavares is right on top of it. Hits it into the left center gap. Cedric Mullins tries to make a dive for it. Can't get there. And both runners come around to score. Tavares trots into second base with a double. And the score is now tied 2-2. Two to two. It felt like such an advantage when the Orioles took the lead in the bottom of the first. Rodriguez can't give you the shutdown inning. They score two more times immediately in the top of the top of the fifth. Or top, I'm sorry, top of the second. Uh, and the game is tied back up. And now I think it felt like a gut punch. The, the score was just tied. It's just the second inning. The Orioles aren't even losing yet. And yet it felt kind of, uh, it just felt like a gut punch. The inning continues. Uh, Rodriguez uh, stays in the game. Obviously, he's not taken out just yet. The next guy up is Marcus Simeon. We've now turned the order over for the first time. He hits a little dribbler back to the mound. Rodriguez fields it, uh, fires over to first base. Brian Mountcastle makes a really nice play to catch the ball. The Rangers review it. It looks like maybe his foot maybe came off the bag, but not exactly. He was ruled out on the field, and the the review stands. It's not confirmed, but not overturned either. Play stands, and the Orioles kind of save themselves in that moment from total disaster. Tavares does advance to third, but the Orioles now have an out. And you're thinking, okay, maybe we can get out of this with the two runs. That wouldn't be so bad. Corey Seager's up. He walks for the second time. He'll, you know, Seager will go on to set a record for the number of walks in, in an individual playoff game. Not the kind of thing you want to be on the other side of. But again, for Seager, walking him versus giving up a home run to him, maybe that is a better way to approach him. So I'm not totally mad about that single aspect of this game. So Seager walks. Now you've got guys on first and third again, this time with one out. Next batter up, Mitch Garver hits a dribbler. This was the one that was the dribbler back to the mound. Uh, Sort of in an awkward spot where does Adley go get it? Does Grayson go get it? Ultimately, Adley stays home. Grayson decides to field it. Fields in an awkward way where he's kind of on the baseline and then has to throw over Garver to first base. Can't get it done. Garver's safe. Uh, Tavares scores, and Seager moves up to, to second base. So now three runs have come in, only the one out. You've got runners on first and second. Adelise Garcia comes up. He singles. A run scores. Uh, they get they do get a force out the next batter, but then Jonah Heim singles on a weak ball in the left field. That makes it five runs in the inning. And that was the end of the day for Grayson Rodriguez. He's back at facing, it would, you know, that brings Nathan Lowe back up to the plate. 
and Brandon Hyde wasn't going to let him do that. He goes to Danny Coulomb, who gets out of the inning and puts an end to, to Grayson Rodriguez's box score. And it wasn't pretty. I mean, five runs and in an inning and two-thirds. The fastball had its good juice on it, but pretty much nothing else was working. He became pretty predictable. I think 75% of his pitches were that four-seam fastball. And as we, as I said, you know, it was it had the good juice, but uh, he just wasn't locating it. Became too predictable. And you know, credit to the Texas Rangers. They came into the game, I think, with sort of a game plan against him, and it worked. They were patient. They got into favorable counts in that second inning after battling in the first, and they knocked him out. And then that became a problem for the Orioles because I think you could handle. Rodriguez giving you a short outing similar to what Bradish did in game one, where you can then get into the middle of the bullpen, but not the guys that are really vulnerable. And uh, and, the, and it worked out in game one. The bullpen was pretty good in game one. But this time, uh, it didn't work out so well. So Rodriguez out of the game. Then in the third inning, Coulomb doesn't come back out, which I think that's the questionable thing for me with Brandon Hyde in this game is, Coulomb has been one of your best pitchers throughout the regular season, uh, relief-wise. Yes, he's a lefty. Yes, he's a soft-tossing lefty. But he's shown he can be effective against right-handed batters. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty, But in the moment, even, I think you say, okay, it's Danny Coulomb or what? What is the other option? And what he goes for is Brian Baker. Now, in the first episode of this uh, series recap that I did yesterday, I questioned why Brian Baker was even on the roster. I said something to the effect of, I think it's fine if he's, or not not that it's fine, but ideally you're not using those kinds of guys in crucial parts of these games because they're probably not really supposed to be on the roster anyway. And if they are, if you want them to eat innings in a blowout, which this game at this point was not a blowout. Five to two, not a blowout. The Orioles still very much had a chance to win this game in the top of the third inning. You've got plenty of outs to go. And we would see in this game, the Orioles score plenty of runs. There was time here. Brian Baker was the wrong choice in that moment, it felt like. And uh, and that's what Brandon Hyde chose to do. So instead of keeping Danny Coulomb, who's been very good, and maybe having him pitch an inning, another inning, you go with Brian Baker, who does get Josh Young to fly out to begin the inning, but then walks the bases loaded. Three straight walks. Now combine that with Rodriguez's start to the day, which was four walks. The Orioles have now walked seven batters and have not even gotten through the third inning yet. So then we go from Baker to Jacob Webb, who Webb had just allowed a home run in game one. Now I know there's only so many options, and Webb had been pretty good for the Orioles until the final stretch of the season, and you got to put somebody in there. But again, maybe you keep Coulomb in there, and this isn't even an issue. But I get that the, the, the cat's already out of the bag there. Train's already left the station. Maybe that was a better metaphor. Webb comes in, and what does he do? Give up another home run, but this time it's a freaking grand slam. Mitch Garver climbs the wall in left field to put the Rangers up 9-2, to and that effectively was the nail in the coffin. Now, the Orioles' offense, credit to them, they would come back, they would score a bunch of runs, and we should talk about that a little bit. But 9-2 to in the second inning, you know, that was taking the air out of the stadium. Any sort of energy there was left in Camden Yards, Mitch Garver took it out with that grand slam. And from there, you know, it, there there wasn't a whole lot to say. I mean, Jack Flaherty came in, was fine-ish. I mean, he gave up a run in two innings, walked three more. Uh, Tyler Wells had a nice inning. CNL Perez had a nice inning. Yenier Cano allowed a run in his one inning of work, and he also walked. So in total, 
The Orioles issued 11 walks in this game, and that was the killer. I mean, 11 hits, too. They, they didn't pitch well in any way, shape, or form. It wasn't like, oh, the stuff was great, but they were just wild. No. They were getting hit, and they were giving up walks, and you're going to lose those games. Now, the final score, 11-8, is kind to the Orioles. It did not feel like an 11-8 game. It only was that close in the end because Aaron Hicks hits a three-run shot in the bottom of the ninth when the Orioles were, at the time, down six runs. Um, that made it a three-run game. Sort of a questionable decision, I think, from Bochi. You know, a, a rare questionable decision from him was to bring in LeClerc in that ninth inning. I know the game was getting closer, but to bring in Jose LeClerc, he probably wasn't totally thinking he's coming into a game that's a six-run deficit. So there's some of that there, and maybe this doesn't carry over. But he's now pitched in both of these games. The Orioles now have seen him. Aaron Hicks has hit a home run off of him. There's some success there. Um, probably the only thing you can question about Bochy here because beyond that, he was perfect. Montgomery goes four. He didn't pitch great, but he pitched the moment. Four innings, five runs, four of them earned. Nine hits, got touched up, but he pitched like a guy who needs to pepper the strike zone, walk just one, struck out two. Uh, pitched like a guy that was just trying to get outs, and he did. He did fine. Bradford comes in after that. Another lefty, which is interesting. Uh, I think clearly what Bruce Bochy has deducted about this Orioles team is they don't hit lefties as well as righties. And in the first game, that that caused Brandon Hyde some confusion. He didn't start Jorge Mateo, which he typically does. Uh, he did correct that decision in this game, and Mateo had a great game. Four for four, a run scored in RBI. He was like the spark plug of the offense, although the offense did have a good good day overall. But he goes to Bradford to keep the, the Orioles left-handed heavy, uh, or I'm sorry, the left-handed facing lineup t- together. And it, it went well for him. Bradford pitched very well, and he was probably the MVP of this game for them on the non-offensive side. Three and two-thirds, three hits, no runs, four strikeouts. Pitched really well. Kept the game at a distance. And then the Orioles did get to the, the later part of the bullpen. On the offensive side... Grayson, or I'm sorry, Gunnar Henderson hit a home run. He had a nice day, scored three runs, two for four with a walk and that home run. Austin Hayes had three hits. Aaron Hicks had five RBI. You know, it's tough to complain too much about the offense. One spot that you can talk about is something I mentioned in the previous episode was Cedric Mullins did start again, which I understand is a defensive play. He's by far the best defensive center fielder on this roster. He's had moments this season where he could hit lefties, no problem. And and prior to that first groin injury, he was hitting everybody. He was crushing the ball and looked like an MVP, or I'm sorry, at least an all-star candidate. Regressed a lot after that first groin injury, and then uh, even worse after he returned from that second IL stint. I think you could argue, hey, maybe Aaron Hicks should have started in center. You get Kerstad involved. I know that's not ideal lefty on lefty, but Mullins right now is giving you very little on offense. Now... They didn't do that. Mullen stayed in the game, went 0-5 for 5 with two strikeouts. Look, the offense scored eight runs. Clearly, offense is not the issue. But you needed every little bit there, and Mullins was kind of the one spot in the lineup that wasn't giving you much. Ironically, Santander also had an 0-5 for 5 as well after, having, after being the entire offense in game one. Again, not going to complain about the offense. You score eight runs. You get 14 hits. The Orioles actually out-hit the Rangers. You can't complain about that too much. They only struck out seven times, walked twice, which is, you know, all right. They, the offense was productive. I The offense was productive. You should win 90-some percent of the games you score eight runs in. This, unfortunately, was one of those times that it didn't work out. And, and it's really just because Rodriguez was bad. 
I think that totally screwed up Brandon Hyde's plan for this game a little bit. But man, going to Brian Baker when I think, in my mind, he was the last guy that made this roster. I'm not sure how you put him in a game that you think is even remotely within reach. I think you maybe put Tyler Wells in in that situation. Again, hindsight's 2020. You put Tyler Wells in. Well, ideally, you leave Danny Coulomb in for that inning. And you say, Danny, give me an inning and a third. I think that's a reasonable position. And then after that, maybe Tyler Wells and you ask him for two innings. And then you see where the game's at. Because you go down with Danny Coulomb, who's been a really good reliever for you all year. And then Tyler Wells, who had been a fantastic starter for you until he ran out of gas, has shown good things in the bullpen. That gets you to probably the fifth or sixth inning. And you say, okay, fifth or sixth inning, like maybe you give up one or two runs in that time, but we're feeling, we probably are feeling pretty good at a seven run Texas Rangers squad uh, versus what we ended up, which was they scored nine runs by that point in the game. And it felt like it was lost already. So again, you know, we're looking at this game with clear eyes. We've seen the whole thing play out. Brandon Hyde can't really do that, but just the Brian Baker move felt like a, a loser in in this situation and potentially you know what we're seeing is what i talked about yesterday was is deal hall available in that situation after pitching i think throwing 28 pitches in game one looked really good but did it potentially take him out of the running to play in this game we won't know that he didn't he didn't appear and maybe it wouldn't have mattered brian baker that is the point i'm going to stick on for this game unfortunately but kudos to the offense for kind of bringing him back a little bit and now the Orioles are down 2-0, and it's, there's no, like, uh, you don't have to joke about it being must-win. The Orioles have to win. They have to now go and win three in a row, first two in Texas, and then one back in Baltimore if they can get the series back here, or else the season's all done. And, you know, we can talk at that point about how, this, how you reflect on this season if the Orioles do lose in this round. We'll talk about that when the time comes, and we'll talk about that with Jesse and Eli because, obviously, it's going to be – you're going to be too close to it right now to feel any uh, clear-eyed way about how things play out. But the situation is what it is. We're down 2-0. We go to Texas now on Monday. I'm sorry, on Tuesday. And have to win in prime time on Fox. And we don't know who's starting that game yet. So let's let's get into the Game 3 preview here. We don't know who's starting that game yet. It's going to be Gibson or Kramer. Potentially both of them are going to appear. I almost think that both of them will appear because we got to put all our cards on the table and then you figure out game four when game four comes around. I'm guessing Kramer is going to start. That is based off of no knowledge other than Kramer was quite good in September. I think Kramer is sort of that, that mindset you want here. And then Gibson is the cool head that maybe can come in to piggyback him and get you a couple innings. Because I think right now, you stay away from the middle of this Orioles bullpen as much as you can. You can't go to Brian Baker again. You can't go to Jacob Webb. Jack Flaherty, I think, is the guy that comes in when the game is out of reach either way. And you say, Jack, give me a couple innings. Don't love him in any sort of important situation right now. Uh, Deal Hall will be back in play on Tuesday. And then I think everybody else is in play as well. It's You've got a day off. You know, CNL Perez can go. Yenier Cano can go. Danny Coulomb, I... I <laughs> They can't just go to Danny Cullum for a single out again. He, he needs to pitch longer than that. He's too important in this setup to only give him, let him get one out. 
And then the offense just needs to do what it did again. It's it's going to be interesting. They're facing a righty now for the first time. Righty starter for the first time. Nathan Evaldi, we assume. I'm not sure if the Rangers have announced that yet, but you would assume Nathan Evaldi is going to pitch. He did pitch game two of that wild card round after Montgomery, so that's how that lines up now. Um, we'll see about that. What do they do against a right-handed line or against a right-handed pitcher? Rather, I assume the lineup's going to look like we would expect from the regular season. Ryan O'Hearn's going to come in for Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, Santander will, will be in the lineup somewhere. I think the question then becomes, does Heston Kerstad get in here? Where do you put him? I don't know. Because Cedric Mullins is kind of the question again. Obviously, you want his, his glove in there, but the bat is ice cold. And you need runs. Are the Rangers going to score 11 again? I don't know. Are the Orioles going to score 8 again? I don't know. So you can't count on either one of those things. I think you expect things to play out more similarly to how they did in the regular season. And you, you just assume the Rangers are going to score five or six because that's what they do. So you need to score six or seven. And Cedric Mullins right now is not helping you do that. Uh, and then you assume Jorge Mateo is going to go back on the bench. Despite having a good game, you know, you're facing a righty. Your regular season numbers tell you Jorge Mateo is not so great against right-handed pitching. So you put him back on the bench. Ramon Urias comes back in, plays third. Henderson's your shortstop. So the questions really are, does Heston Kerstad get into this lineup? And does that mean that Cedric Mullins then goes on the bench? You know, that that does likely downgrade your center field defense quite a bit. Hicks would slide to center, most likely. I guess Austin Hayes could play center. Uh, and then Mullins would be on the bench. Probably means Santander is playing some right field. And then Kerstad is your DH, which again... Santander and right. Hicks in center. I think Hicks is a an okay defender at this point in his career. Still has a great arm. The range isn't quite there. Do you love that for your outfield defense? Probably not, but this feels like a series you might need to mash, or at this point you need to mash and score runs, and maybe defense is secondary. That's for something to Brandon, something for Brandon Hyde to figure out. I'm not so sure. You could also, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of different things you could do. Right now, the offense is not what I'm too worried about. They've scored 10 runs in two games. You know, you feel pretty good about that in general. It's more about the pitching. Kramer's got to give you something, and then you've got to avoid the Baker-Webb portion of the bullpen. So a lot to think about. I don't know. I I don't feel great right now, obviously, down 2-0. The odds are not in our favor. I think I saw a stat on X slash Twitter that... 23 other teams have gone down 0-2 in the divisional round in this current in this setup of best of five, and only three teams have ended up emerging. I think that's about a 13 or 14 percent rate of success, which honestly is probably higher than I would have expected. Um, we do know it's possible. We know it's possible. The Orioles have done this all year. They haven't gotten swept all year. Are they going to get swept in this round of the playoffs? The ultimate irony. Hopefully not. And then, you know, you win one game, it starts to roll a little bit. And then you get us back to Camden Yards off a two-game winning streak. You feel pretty good about the Orioles' odds in that situation. It likely means Braddish is back on the mound, which his stuff, again, looked great in game one. So that's kind of the goal right now is go to Texas, take care of business. It's going to be rocking in there game three, a night game, prime time. There's going to be no other major sports on, to my knowledge. Any sort of sports fan is going to be watching this game. You can potentially clinch, sweep, get some rest for the ALCS if you're Texas. Like, it's going to be a hostile environment for these Orioles. I have every reason to think they'll be just as confident as they normally are, 
But look, they haven't won yet in this postseason. They need to go there and get it done. We'll see what happens. But yeah, dire times right now. Hopefully I'm talking to you on, or I'm sorry, it might not be me on uh, Tuesday. It might be Jesse or Eli, but hopefully we're talking to you in a positive manner uh, and just getting ready for game four. But we don't know. It's all up in the air right now. So that's kind of all I got. A little bit of a of a uh, melancholy sort of review here. And I apologize for the mic quality. I had some technical issues. So I'm recording in an echoey spot with uh, not my proper microphone, but hopefully this got the message across. Um, hopefully those can draw things back in and we'll get our technical difficulties sorted out by them. But that's all I've got. I appreciate you for listening. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please consider it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We should be available there. Um, We're also on Substack. You can get us in newsletter format to your inbox, thewarehousepod.substack.com. Also over on Twitter and X, at The Warehouse Pod, where Eli is tweeting out his opinions and thoughts and perspectives. So give us a follow there and join the conversation. And you can also email the podcast, thewarehousepod at gmail.com. Until next time, I've been Tyler, and this has been The Warehouse Podcast. Thank you for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.